G'day punters and welcome to Tabs Inside 50. Nick Quinn, as per usual, joined by the superstar, the former Hawk, Shane Crawford. Hello and welcome, Shane. Hello, Nicholas. How are you? You're looking very fresh. I'm very excited, Shane, because we've you? got an absolute superstar as a guest this week. But a man you who told played... me you hated the team that he played for. So how can you be super excited? <laughs> See, I never said that at all. <laughs> and when his team were playing the other team in South Australia, I know who I was barracking for. It was always the power. But this man, 300 games for Port, a four-time best and fairest winner. He thinks it should have been five. A two-time All-Australian winner, a Premiership winner, and now the Colin Cowherd of Australian oh. media. A warm welcome to Kane Cause. It's a nice introduction. <laughs> the, the fifth best and fairest. You've definitely done your research on that one. I was robbed in 2005, but... You must have had a bonus in your contract. Probably did. Because <laughs> that, that's brought down a few it, along it, the way. It definitely has. But uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited uh, to be with you and alongside the uh, one of my favourite ever players in a Shane Crawford. very decorated career, Quinny, when you look at that. Um, and to think the role that he played for a lot of his career, he was a hardcore tagger. Tagged me out of the game many a times, and I hated it because we were crap at the time. So it was always we we were just going no good. Um, but a very decorated career and doing probably just as well away from footy. You know, probably someone who's always prepared to tell it how it is or say it how it is, where a lot of people don't do it these days. They they're very careful and very protected. I'm looking forward to discussing your media career as well because that's something probably you never thought you'd go down that path when you were a player, but you're going so well and probably doing it in a way that was a little bit different to your footy career. Yeah, it probably is. Like, I think I think you're right. It wasn't something that uh, I set out to do, but Dad was always, um, you know, Dad would have interviewed you many times yeah. um, on 5AA and the KG and He Cornsy was a straight shooter too. He was fantastic. He, he, he was a straight shooter and he wasn't afraid to um, be quite uh, abrupt with his commentary and certainly not afraid to get people offside. And um, him and his his mate KG had a, a domination of the drive scene with 5AA for, for many, many years. And then Dad went on to work with Stephen Rowe. So I was always really interested in it. I did an apprenticeship, a traineeship in media with Dad when I was 18 at 5AA. And the sports director there was Cam Thompson. He took me under his wing. And so I was always sort of interested. But I just wasn't sure if there'd be any opportunities that came up post-footy. So it was always in the back of my mind, but it's sort of worked out incredibly well, so I'm lucky. And it's very much like footy, though, isn't it? You, it you is, sort I of, think. You've you got to make it happen. You got to. You get a little uh, gig here or a kick up here. You've got to get in there and go for it. You're and right. Then, then you work out, okay, I really like that, or no, that show suits me. Yeah, I want to keep doing more of that. But it's very much the same as your football career. You've got to work hard and you've got to make things happen. Yeah, I think you're spot on. Like, you know, you just get a, a little bit like, here's a special commentary gig on the weekend and, and how can you stand out from everyone else? Because it's competitive, as you know, Croft. And um, then it was, you know, there was a little footy SA show that Croc Media at the time were doing and I got an opportunity there and then you just sort of build on it and more opportunities come about. But if you don't stand out and if you don't do your research and you're not prepared to say it, the next pass player is going to come along and, and take your spot. So I was always conscious of that and, and trying to make an, an impact, as you did for, for so long and continue to do. So um, he's a good sort of good mentor to look at. He certainly is, and we'll talk about the media stuff later on. But we're going to go back to the beginning, the early days, when you were a young pup who loved your footy and your dad, Graham, a South Australian football legend, and he was coach at Glenelg. What do you remember about those early oh, days? Royalty. He was royalty. Yeah, he, um, it just the... The, the time of your life. You know when footy means the most to you? It's probably when you're 11 or 12. Who, who did you back? Glenelg. Yep. So dad was coaching Glenelg. I lived in Yule Street. So mum and dad split up when I was three. 
we moved Chad, my, myself, and Mum used into moved into this tiny little sort of masonette three bedroom house. It was about five hundred meters away from Glenelg Primary School. Where I went to school, and Glenelg Primary School backed onto the Glenelg Oval, which was sort of my home. And Dad was coaching at the time, so your big backyard, the big backyard. So it was, you know. It's a bit different now, like with with your kids, but back then it was after school, three on three at the park or down to footy training to watch the Glenelg boys train and and dad was coach. So he was incredible for us because he gave us an insight that most kids don't get. So he would allow us in at half time. So we'd hear his address to the players. And I often say like... The smells of a footy club. This is what I remember, Croft. Well, the like, deep heat flying around. It. As soon as you walk in, you're like, oh, I'm definitely in the change rooms. A hundred percent. So the, the, these are my best footy memories and you've got... But it doesn't happen anymore. They don't use does, the deep heat. It's, it's uh, all the natural yeah. sort of organic oils, Quinny. <laughs> Didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so like I've got Chris McDermott in the corner there and Nick Chigwin, just all these old players that wouldn't mean a lot to the listeners now, but for me as a kid, you're absolute heroes. Uh, the players had... PK, they had a, like a little tub of PK chewies and the, the players used to let Chad and I take the chewies and the cordial, the lemon, just those little things that makes you fall in love with the game. So that, that was when footy meant the most to me. Dad was, you know, 350 odd games. He kicked the winning goal in the 1973 grand final, Glenelg won. Then he was a two-time premiership coach at the Bay and they didn't have a lot of success. So 85, 86, he went back to back there. So he was a bit of a legend and then Everything just sort of exploded in the um, late 80s, early 90s when, when the Crows started to gain momentum coming into the competition. And of course, he was the first coach. So that's just when footy just went next level in South Australia. So when the Crows came in, did you barrack for them? Yeah, 100%. Yep. Like, just like just Chad and I in the cheer squad the whole time. Used to catch the bus to go and watch uh, the Crows play. I was there when Modric kicked his 100th yep. um, Princess Park in 93 and we ran on the ground. Princess Park? Yeah. There's actual vision, uh, Fitzroy <laughs> Princess Park. We ran onto the ground and there's vision of it. Chad and I sort of mobbing Tony Modric. I was 10 at the time. So you couldn't have found a more passionate Crows supporter. 93, we were there, prelim final. They're seven goals up at halftime against the Bombers. We're punching on with Essendon fans and thinking like we're one foot in the grand final and lost. Tears after the game. It was in the change rooms after that. So um, footy has never meant as much to me as what it did when Dad was probably coaching the Crows in, in 1993 and sort of fell apart. I, I was at school one afternoon and I got a call across um principal's office, Kane Corns, please make your way to the principal's office. You know you're in a bit of trouble oh. when that happens. You wouldn't be someone who causes trouble. Well, I didn't think so. And I, so I've turned up at the principal's office and his dad's sitting there in the middle of 1994, um, just one afternoon, Wednesday afternoon or something like that. And he's sitting there. He's got a bit of a solemn look on his face. And he said, hey, son, I, I just wanted to get you before it sort of broke in the media. And that day there was no, there was no Twitter yeah. or anything. So it, sort of six o'clock news service was when it was going to break wanted to get to you first I've been sacked by the crows and he, t- he took it really well like he was really pragmatic about it he said look you know last year we had an opportunity to get the grand final we didn't make the most of it and this year it's sort of fallen apart so the players have decided that I'm not the guy and the club's going to move me oh it just shattered so from that moment um yeah, you sort of you felt it was the first experience where the cutthroat ruthless nature of footy sort of stared you in the face and you've got to go back to the classroom he's like do I tell my mates the old man's been sacked how much grief am I going to cop from the other kids at school so that was a that was a bit of a, a brutal moment and, and sort of the first realisation that this is a pretty full on and, and cutthroat industry How was your relationship with Adelaide going forward? 
I hated them for a while. Like it's just you, it gets personal then, doesn't it? And then Robert Shaw came in, and you start barracking against them, and you hope that they lose, and um, and they did for a couple of years after, and um, Robert Shaw left. But then you sort of, then it was by the time that stage, uh, you know, I'm I'm fourteen, fifteen, and you're thinking about playing yourself. So you move on from sort of supporting a club to more about how am I going to get myself into the AFL because it's all I ever all I ever wanted to do I didn't have any other plan I did work experience at the police force Croft and um, that was that was interesting in itself and I, I thought about the elite sort of police force it's called the star force in um, South Australia it might be called the SOG in Victoria or a variation of that I thought that might be good the teamwork and the and the cutthroat nature of that and the, the the pressure that would come with that but it was never really for me so I didn't have any other plan get to 15 16 you think you better make the most of this now as you progress through your footy your older brother's going along quite nicely and he gets drafted to Port Adelaide now growing up having the corns play for Port would have been just unheard of what do you mm. remember about that day Oh, it was amazing, really. Like, his dad hated Port. Like, just, <laughs> so think of the fiercest rivalry ever. That was Glenelg and Port Adelaide, and dad had made some really strong commentary about that. And so they hated him, and he hated them. Um, so it was. I mean, it was it was a thrill, though. Like, don't get don't get me wrong. Chad, your older brother, you know, gets to stay home and living at home at the time and drafted. So it was a real thrill. It was a bit of a surprise he went as early as he did, um, but it was a big story. It was front page corns playing for Port, and it took him some time to win the Port Adelaide fans over because of the resentment they had towards Dad. And he ended up being a very good player. He was a good Chad. player. Like yeah, he, he played how many games? 255, I reckon it was. was a lot, yeah, end. very yeah. versatile. Stood up when Port needed someone to stand up a lot. Always took a lot of the pressure. And now he's just a bodybuilder. <laughs> yeah. He just pumps weight. Just, no, he's yeah. a, he was a good, like, in his um, in his time, like, he was probably a top 10, much better player than me, like, because he was just so strong and aggressive and tough and competitive and played forward. Um, his best season was was in the midfield in 2007, where he was all Australian. Um, you know, third in the brown line, 2004, I think it was. So yeah, no, he had a phenomenal career. Now the 2000 AFL draft, Port's got lots of selections in it, and you wanted to go to the power. Tell us what you did to try and help yourself there. Well, I was I look back on some of the stuff I did, and I shake my head. Like so, in the media now, like I would be really critical of a, a young player who was so. Desperate, like to, so. I, I called the coach, like before he didn't even. Know. What's wrong with that though? Well, nothing really, but I, but I was just so such in a in a hurry to get somewhere. And if I was at, like, if you were a senior player at Hawthorne and you had a youngster come in and just was just wanted to play so badly that he would ring the coach or turn up on the coach's doorstep and ask him why he wasn't getting a game, you would think just. Relax, young fella. Earn your stripes. Yeah, yeah. earn your stripes, yeah, young I'd, fella. Deep down, I'd love it as yeah. well. I'm like, this is great. He's going to make it. This kid's going to make it. So I rang him, and they had picked twelve and twenty and something else. And I said, Choco, you got it. Never. He didn't really know me, but he, we had a connection through Chad. And I'd done a week's training there through the OES Academy, where the youngsters go out and, and have a run around. So he knew of me, but didn't know me that well. I said, you got to pick me, Choco. You just got to pick me. You won't regret it. He said, look, we got pick 12. I'm not picking you with pick 12. Like just just in, in choco, choco. I'm not picking you with pick 12. Um, I said, oh, okay. And then by then I thought I was hoping I'd be gone by then. So I was, oh, the Port Adelaide stuff's over. 
So anyway, draft day comes around and pick 12, they pick Sean Burgoyne. So they did all right. They, they, oh, not a bad they, they had the good selection, yeah. Choco, good selection. <laughs> then pick 20 came around and then I'm sitting there at home. I got the TV for some stupid reason. I got the TV cameras at home and got my mates over from school and Lucy, my then girlfriend, now wife is there and mum's there and everyone's gathered around. It's taking a bit longer than I thought. They called for extra time. They called for extra time again. You can see Choco arguing with Alan Stewart, the recruiting manager, and this one, what's going on here? And eventually they called my name out. And after that, he he rang me a couple of days after, or I saw him at training a couple of days after. I said, I didn't want to pick you, son. Like, I just, I don't know where I'm going to play you. So um, it was Alan Stewart. He's he, You are his pick. So basically proved me wrong. And he, he probably wasn't wrong in his criticism. Like, I was a half-back flanker, maybe wing, bit of half forward. I didn't really have a position that I was ready to command for myself. So it wasn't, yeah, so I did sort of fight and scrap for the first two or three years of my career until Josh Carr was our sort of resident tagger and Crawford would have had some great games against Josh Carr, who was a really hard-nosed competitor. He became too good to be a tagger, like in the end. So he sort of graduated in a way to become a, a midfielder in himself and there was a small opportunity and I was willing to take it. I said, give me the tagging job. Give give it. Give me the tagging job. I reckon Nigel Lappin might have been the first player that I, that I tagged and did an okay job. You get another job the next week, and then all of a sudden you, you make the position your own, and I sort of did that role for the best part of 10 years, and I, I loved it. And you two had many games against each other. Croft, what well, do you remember playing against Kane? Well, the, the good thing is when Sammy Mitchell came onto the scene, <laughs> and he started to go to – but I, I just remember, like, when I talk about the tags and – better taggers that I've played against. Kane was, I reckon, he's one of the best taggers uh, in the game because he could get his own football. He could go the real shutdown role. And what Port Adelaide did really well when they were bullies, when they were picking <laughs> on, you know, sides that are yeah. struggling a bit, they really drive the ball through him as well. So it actually really helped him out and actually got him into the game. So then all of a sudden, the person who's being tagged, the coaches are going, hey, he's getting way too much yeah. of the footy, you know. So it was a great tactic and, and it, it taught me a lot about teamwork. You know, when, when Port Adelaide were really good um, as a team, the connection they had around ball but also in their forward line, I can mm. still remember Stewie Jew all yeah. the time. All of a sudden, you'd be around a stoppage, the players would leave from a boundary throw-in, Stewie Jew would be left there with one or two others and he would just destroy you and kick a goal. So it was amazing the teamwork and connection they had, that's when they were flying. And then obviously, mm. you know, you go through other times where it's a struggle, but his running capacity was elite. Um, if you were a tagger today, I think it's a little a little bit harder because yeah. you, can't, you can't do a lot of the things that you could back then where, you know, you, you don't have to face the ball, you can mm. keep pushing, whereas these days they seem to be awarding a lot of free kicks yeah. over nothing, which no is doubt. a bit disappointing. But... Um, yeah, he, he was definitely one of the best going around by far. Yeah, I used to have little tactics. You could sort of grab a wrist or you could scrag a little hip and just just yeah. just, just pull well, them off the Josh ball a little bit. you had Josh initially, yeah. so you would have learned from the very Le- best. Learned a lot. Of that. But then I you're right. He throws a few punches every, every quarter. <laughs> yeah, um, every quarter. But you could. That's what – That's yeah. you know, I remember there was days that you just get bashed. Mm. And you just think, wow, okay. Whereas, obviously, these days, you get weeks. Mm. <laughs> and and, and the, the flip side as well. So, I remember you know, really pretty ordinary days in Geelong where you're trying to tag 
Gary Ablett Jr. And you've just got bodies coming at you from everywhere. And not only that, so Scarlett's smashing you, you get up and Joel Corey's into you. But then as soon as Ablett's got half a metre of space, it was give him the footy and then block. And it's just like, I just can't, I can't stop this bloke. Like, so I think the team element of it, and so that's why I'm, I was always, a, uh, I'm always questioning why opposition don't go after midfielders a little bit more because of the team element. It's almost like an us against them. We're going to get this bloke. And if it's not Kane on Crawf, as soon as he gets away, someone else is going to come across and give him a chop out. And there was a camaraderie element to that. And then on the flip side for the, for the good sides, if they had a guy been tagged, it was like, all right, this is on. This is war. We're, we're not going to let this tagger, this dirty, rotten tagger get the better of you know one of the great players in the game and and that's just when you knew you're up against it you know some really some really ordinary days down there at the cattery get ready to play everywhere australia the afl is here and with tab same game multi you can combine all your favorite afl markets like head-to-head total points and anytime goal scorer all in the one bet to get bigger odds available on every afl game this season build your same game multi with tab today Tab, long we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. You get to Port Adelaide and your first three years at the club, from a team perspective, it's close but no cigar. Mm. 2001, the team finishes third and bomb out in straight sets. 2002, you win the minor premiership. You then lose to Collingwood at home week one of the finals, beat the Bombers, lose the prelim. 2003, similar story. Minor premiers, lose to Sydney week one of the finals, beat Essendon, then lose to Collingwood in a prelim. So for three years, you've won more games than any other team, but you've got nothing to show for it. What was it like going into 2004 with all the pressure starting to build? Yeah, it was it was uh, unbearable, really. We went away on a footy trip to Hawaii at the end of 2003, and um, I remember there was a real confrontation between a couple of players late one night, and, and sort of the truth comes out about the selfishness of the group and why we'd let each other down in, in finals and some players hadn't done the right thing at the pointy end of the year and really looked after themselves. And it all sort of blew up. And I'm like two years into a career going, oh, hang on, this is this is a bit overwhelming for me. I'm just trying to get a kick and get a game. And these guys are punching on. Players are in t- – I've never seen anything like it. Some players say, oh, that's it. I'm, I'm out. I'm leaving. I'm, I'm done. You guys are no good. So then um, we got back together for the preseason – and end of 2003, um, heading into the 2004 season, Alistair Clarkson was a young up-and-coming assistant coach coming through, and he'd been at Central Districts, and I think he'd taken the doggies in the Sandful to a, a trip away to New Zealand. And He loves his trips away, he doesn't he? Lo- yeah, he, he did. He did. He, Kokoda and all the things that you guys did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. New Zealand, like, he just loves those bonding sessions, you know, trying to be a bit different and bring people together. So it was the catalyst, I reckon. Like, I credit that trip, that we didn't take a footy. Like, there's no footies or anything. It was just hiking and teamwork and orienteering and um, getting to know you sort of stuff. And on the, the last day of the trip, we had to climb this massive mountain. Can't remember the name. It might have been Mount Remarkable or something like that. And it was, it was like that for an hour. And there was these prickly bushes digging into you and everyone's whinging and sooking and it's cold and your socks are wet. So, you know, you haven't slept for a few days and everyone's had enough. So we get to the top of this ridge after an hour and we're all sitting there exhausted and we were set to go on for another seven or eight hours to this snow peak mountain that you could see up in the top corner distance. And like, there's no way we're going. Like, and the players are ready to turn around and head back down and sort of call it a day. This was a player-driven thing. 
And so as we're about to turn back and go down the hill that we just came up with and, and call it quits for the day, Matty Primus just stood up. This big, massive, massive man gets his pack because we're carrying everything and he just starts walking. And he goes, he goes, F you blokes, we are going all the way to the effing top. <laughs> and he just started walking. So you could either go with the captain or you could turn around and take the easy way out. So of course everyone's gone, oh. Just like cursing, going, oh, we've got to follow this. So everybody get saddle up and follow Primus. And I reckon that was sort of um, reflective of where the group was at. You know, come really close, done a lot of hard work, but when it really mattered on the big stage, finals footy, we capitulated and, and choked. So this is the end of 2003, heading into that 2004 season. We're all on Primus's back. And I just thought that was a pivotal moment in the history of the club, uh, symbolic of where we then went in 2004 and um, you know beat Geelong in the qualifying final which we hadn't done we hadn't had that week off heading into the prelim have such a close prelim final against the Saints where we hardly touched the ball in the first 15 minutes of that game Garrett kicked his 100th the fans come on plays paused just sort of all came together and we just sort of realigned and then once we'd got through the prelim final the pressure was eased and just remember Damien Harbert coming up on the final siren saying this this week is going to be the best week of your life. Just soak it all up from the from the you know grand final parade to all the family coming out to the open training session at Alberton on the Wednesday to training at the MCG the day before the game. It just was. It was brilliant. And I was 21 at the time and um, probably didn't make the most of it. But it was something that I look back on and just think how incredible was it. It's funny that you made the grand final, but it sounds like you then had the freedom. The monkey was off the back because you well, got there. It. Yeah, that was it because it was all chokers and um, the head sponsor was Alan Scott and he'd come out and said, this club's going, never going to win a premiership with Mark Williams. And, and that's why Mark Williams said at the end of the game, Alan Scott, you were wrong. So there was just so much pressure. We were really well led by by Mark Williams who maintained his composure and, and a big, a lot of credit needs to go to Phil Walsh who was... So Mark Williams was the external motivator. He need to have you running through brick walls, Croft, and uh, he was so supportive and loyal to his players. But while she was behind the scenes, nuts and bolts, how, how are we going to go about dismantling the opposition? He was the one watching hours and hours of vision or flying to Perth on a Saturday afternoon and getting home late on a Sunday to forward scout the opposition. So just the workload that Walshy took into it and the um, strategic element that he brought to the group now um, and you saw that when he was in charge of the Crows what an amazing head coach he would have been um, I think you know a lot of credit needs to go to him as well and you had uh, Clarko who was involved but then he also got the well, he took job, the job. Hawthorne yeah. so he stepped away I don't know if it was for the whole final series but for the last game or two yeah, just because was- of you know his new role yeah but he was still there grand final day still very much definitely and involved I think, in the celebration yeah so my memory is that he wasn't there for the final series. Can't remember exactly the time frame that he got that job, but as I said, with that New Zealand camp, influential. And I, just, I feel I feel like under Choco, a lot of the players and his assistant coaches went on to be senior coaches. I mean, you 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 look at Brendan Layden, and Adam Kingsley, and my brother and Stewie Jew, and many many others that have been under the tutelage of Choco, and that's what happens. Seen it with Clarko. If you're at a successful club, often that breeds more success and the, the tentacles sort of extend all sorts of places and that that's still happening today from that 2004 premiership team. The, the one thing with Port Adelaide, um, Quinny, that I can remember, obviously Brisbane Lions were coming through their era and they're an unbelievable 
football team, but they were big, mm. big, strong men, you know, who loved to be physical. Um, but Port Adelaide changed footy forever with their body shapes. You know, they were leaner and lighter and they were running harder than ever. And, um, you know, Andrew Russell, who was involved yeah. in the fitness, he, he then went to Hawthorne and had success. And now he's at the Blues um, getting them firing. So um, it, it was a real advantage. They had running power. And, you know, everywhere you looked, these players were covering, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18 kilometres a game. And... You know, and that was obviously mm. a focus for you guys to run. Yeah, so we came in at half time of that game, and we were speaking off air about you having a look at that game. I think last night. So you must have been, you must have had a lot, of, lot to do last <laughs> night. He got if way he, too much just, time on his just hands. watching the replay of the 2004 <laughs> Premiership. Before you continue, we had Justin Lepich in this chair. Right now, they were the three-time defending premiers. They were winning at half time and walking off the field. You guys, apparently, according to him just gave them an ear bashing. You know, and they were up and about because we actually had the side-by-side race that year because of the development of the MCG. So we're right next to each other walking off. And I'm thinking, oh, we're flat as a pancake. Like, this is not good. And um, I tried a little bit of buzz-up stuff. You know, get it, get us going and I was half pot and port. And guess what Guess what it did? Our bloke said nothing and then I just fired them up. Oh. <laughs> so they're bouncing up off the walls and, ah, oh, you're all old and you're all gone. We're going to, you know, that... I went, oh, that didn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we had a plan prior to the game that if we could sort of be with them at halftime for the reasons that Croft was saying. I mean, they, when you have been up the top for so long, you get a month less pre-season because the clubs come back earlier and the ones that are chasing you. So you do that three times a year. You got some injuries. Jonathan Brown was banged up and some of their players that are just played a lot of footy and we're getting to the stage they're a bit older we thought if we could be with them at half time we could run over the top of them in the end so that's genuinely how we felt and there was a I think just before half time correct me if I'm wrong Acker had a free kick in the forward pocket and and got up in the face of Damien Hardwick and that was overturned and we went down and Toby Thurston's kicked a goal to keep us in touch and we came in at half time and Chuck we got him we got him exactly where where we want them that's all I really remember from half time but I never felt comfortable during like with Five minutes to go, I still thought there was a chance we could lose that game. But the best feeling when you know when you know finally that you've won it. And it's not I don't know, it's just a relief really. Like it's not a not it wasn't for me it wasn't euphoric, it was just like, oh, wow, thank goodness. When they saw him. That was all the pressure built up over the last yeah. few years. It just wasn't hadn't been that enjoyable. Like as I said, my fourth year, so I'm just trying to find my feet and get a game and establish yourself at the level. So I wasn't sort of conscious of I thought I'd get another opportunity the next year. And then another one the next year. And I'll, I'll win it when I'm 21. I think, oh, how good is this? I'll probably win three or four. You know, yeah, this, is, this, is not, yeah. this is not that hard. But, but, yeah, but some people have done that. I know. Like, little Bradley Hill comes in and he's, <laughs> he's ticked three in a row. Thought, how easy is this? But when you, when you say, oh, I didn't relax, you know, the role that you were playing, yeah. you, you were on Simon Black. Black. Yeah. You can't relax. You, like, you can't relax any time you're sort of doing a run with roll no. because, you know, mentally you've got to focus. So how draining was it playing on, you know, a player like Simon Black and then years later you're just out there to go and win the footy and, mm. and run around and hopefully get a bit of freedom and get a bit more of the footy? Yeah, it's sort of... <laughs> mentally, how different is that? I used to... The last thing I thought about from probably Tuesday to Friday... The last thing before I went to sleep was the play that I was playing on. So from so Tuesday night, I'd right, I'm falling asleep. I'm thinking about Simon Black. 
I wake up Wednesday morning, right? I'm thinking about Simon Black. And it, so it was just all consumed. That was my personality. So I wasn't good. Yep. I wasn't good at switching off. So the players that can switch off, I think are the ones that have the most longevity. Like you, you're, you seem to have a nice balance between when you're training, you're training so hard and running yourself into the ground. You're so competitive when you're playing. But I reckon you might have had a better switch off than oh, I needed to. Otherwise, I was going to lose the plot. Yeah. So yeah. and I and I probably did. So I, I reckon I could still. This could come back to bite me, but I reckon I could still play. Like if if I if I was mental, like I look at Travis Boak and I think if I had the mental capacity of Travis Boak to be able to switch off, to be able to pick my moment on when I can train, to be able to relax and have a beer with the boys and not stress too much, I reckon if you know I'd kept up my weights, work and pre, I wouldn't be too far off being able to play. Certainly, probably could have played to a thirty six ish. But I was just mentally cooked. So come 32, you know, because I'd rarely been injured or anything like that. I was lucky with that and didn't play a real combative style of football. Um, but I was just mentally fried. And yeah. that was the reason why. Uh, 100%. Yeah. B- being that run with role for majority of your yeah. career. Um, yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. And you need to go and somehow refresh. But you have a year off. You think, oh, my body feels yeah. all right, actually. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah. I might be able to get a run around and, and you know still get involved, especially the way the game's played today. Yeah, like what are they? Well, you could have gone to half back. They, they don't call them taggers; they call them coolers. No, no. Well, and I, you just got to go for a quarter and go. Can you just try and shut him down? For, exactly. for a quarter, no worries. And then other than that, just go and pop in your zone. <laughs> when the ball comes, you just keep using it well. <laughs> yeah, well, and then and then, and then you can extend your career by. Going a half back and do what Pendlebury's done, or do what others have done. Yeah, so and you know you're going to get 25 a game. Or anyway. just take the kickouts. Yeah, there's, there's one. There's one. Do that ten times. One of my favourite movies, The Cooler. You seen that one? It's a bloke who's always unlucky, so the casino hires him to go stand next to blokes that are on a hot streak. I must check that out. Yeah, it's very entertaining. Yeah. Now, you've won four best and fairest. You probably should have won five. Tell us about the one you didn't win and you. Acceptance well, speech. Well, this was this is why I was an idiot. Like this is so I people. Yeah, but you, you're so yeah, into it. I, like yeah. you, you get it because you, you ride. You know, you think it within yourself. Do you know what? No, I've had a really good year here. I, you know, I think without <laughs> overrating yourself, yeah. I think I should have won. The, I was the best and fairest. Yeah, I, I was. Some players look back and they, or you hear them speak. I got no regrets. I've got regrets. Like I, I wasn't a great. I don't. I wasn't a great teammate. I wasn't a bad person, and I wasn't a selfish person. But I was so into achieving these things that I wanted to achieve. Robotic, yeah. And that's and, the thing and, you do. You blinkers. get the blinkers yeah, on. Yeah, I had blinkers on. I know, and yeah. I think a lot of people in that you know same situation. I still have regrets about grand final we won. I, my biggest regret is knowing that I was probably fifty or sixty percent, and you know not eighty percent. Where in terms of the way you play, like or just your body injury, yeah, and I'm like, oh, why couldn't I play a grand final feeling eighty yeah, percent? Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. So, but th- I think there's a lot of things that go through your head. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I could have been a better team, yeah. or I could have done this better. But you just sort of live in the moment. You try and work it out as you go, and by the time you work it but, all out, you got to hang up the boots. I know, yeah. So that's <laughs> so that's so I've got regrets that, and and I some of my teammates would look back and go, that guy, gee, that guy was hard work to play with. Not, but I I must admit. 
Ken Inkley came in. So, sorry, to answer your question, 2005, I'd always wanted to win a best and fairest for some reason. Like I'd written it down. I wrote my goals at the start of the year, you know, win the best and fairest, you know, all, all that, play 300 games, all, all, the, all that stuff. And I, I thought I thought 2005 I had a, a good year. We'd won the premiership the year before, but we'd sort of dropped off as a side. So won one final um, against North Melbourne and then got smashed by the Crows. And you know, I thought I'd had a good year and thought I would have won it but you're right it just that it did not matter like in the history if you win five best and fairest or four or three no one cares except you honestly like if you, no one's going to look up oh he only won three best and fairest not five four's pretty good yeah it's good um, and I'm well, it's, it's, it's exceptional because you played in, in a time where you were you know pushing for flags you know and, and it's the, the team votes are more important than Brownlow votes than any of that it's it's because it's it's coming from the coaches yeah. and they're rating you on what you're doing for the team. I'm proud of what I did, but I'm not proud of the way I handled that night. So Treadray won it, phenomenal player, best player I've ever played with. Oh, do you know it's forwards winning awards? It shouldn't happen <laughs> because the midfielders do all the bloody work. <laughs> all they got to do is lead out Mark and kick straight. But anyway, he he won it. He's a four time for, for a four year period there. The, the best centre half forward in the game, toughest position to play. So he won it. So I'm disappointed that my speech for coming second I, I you know, basically just thanked mum and dad and Lucy and got off stage as, prick, as quickly as I could and sort of definitely spat the dummy left the room and, <laughs> and I look and go my goodness who is and then Adam Kingsley pulled me up and he said the, the next day he said hey, the way you carried on and I didn't even I, the way you carried on and best and fairest night is unacceptable and I remember arguing back with him go hang on King is like that and I was slighted by the fact that he actually challenged me on that and that's how blinkered I was so to answer your question it was poor and it wasn't the only moment that was poor from my career once again I wasn't a I wasn't a bad or selfish person I just was just so driven in what I wanted to achieve that at times um, neglected the bigger picture and that was um, and that was others how would Kane Corn the broadcaster have gone assessing Kane Corn's the player <laughs> yeah, exactly right like I, I would have um, I, I think I would have admired you know, it's, it's like a... An Ed, tenacity. Yeah, it's like an Ed Kern. Like, like the way I look at uh, an Ed Kerno for Carlton, like I just love him. I, lo- I love the way, you know, he's not the most skillful. He's not the most most athletic, but every time he's out there, if you're on him, it's hard to get a kick and he run. So I, I would have had a bit of an admiration for that aspect, but if Kane Corns a broadcaster got a hold of the vision of a player whinging at best and fairest not for for not um, for not winning it you know I definitely would have called that out I think Kane Corns the broadcaster would have liked Kane Corns the player ringing the coach <laughs> though and saying draft me and showing yeah, that passion I, I love, to be there I love yeah. all of it because it, it just shows you I want to play and I'm serious about this so straight away for me if you've got a, a, a young kid coming along going hey give me an opportunity I'll do whatever I possibly can and do you know what? Sam Mitchell was very much the same. Sam Mitchell was—he was a pest. Mm. He was an absolute pest at training. In what way? Well, he, well, to me, he he would follow me around everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like even away from um, footy, I went to the snow, and he said, "Can I come?" And I'm like, "Why?" And he said, "Oh, David Park," and said, "I've got to follow you and try and learn about everything you do." So he came to the snow with us. <laughs> I'm like, you don't even like the bloody stuff. <laughs> Get out of bed. <laughs> you should, uh, um, but he he was, and I, I knew, and they said, oh, he can't, he can't run. His endurance is mm. no good and whatever. Um, I, I knew who's going to make it. 
because he was so determined mm. and he was going to run through the biggest brick wall to actually do something. And it's very much in the, the same mould. The only difference is... You can run. Yeah, he's a better, he's a better ball user though. Like he just make you pay. With, he was amazing with yeah. his with his ball use. So I think I think that's why my my media commentary. I'm quite critical of you know if, if I feel like players' standards aren't great. You know if if I if they look like they're overweight or if they they look like they're not competitive. I was really critical of Darcy Moore on the weekend because I just didn't think he was defensively sound enough. But maybe that's because. I was just a fighter and a scrapper and, you know, prepared myself as best as I possibly could and was probably a like like Shane ahead of my time in terms of professionalism. So I don't really give players an out in that space. 2007, the power returned to the grand final up against the Geelong team looking to break a long premiership drought. What do you remember about the lead up to that game? And there was momentum building for power to cause the upset. Yeah, there was actually. Uh, this got ahead of ourselves completely and utterly ahead of ourselves. So they were they were a great team, um, but we'd beaten them down at Geelong because CC kicked that left foot goal, and not many teams beat them down there. Close to the finals, we had a really young side. That was the year, you know, Westhoff had been drafted and Robbie Gray had, had come in and Travis Boak had come in. So it was a bit of a changing of the guard with the group, and we sort of overachieved to to get there. Beaten Geelong, had some real momentum late in the season. Um, beat. West Coast in the qualifying final at home and Cousins sort of did his hammy and there's all that drama around Ben Cousins who had the week off and then smashed North Melbourne in the prelim. It was the worst thing that happened to us. So just you know, big celebrations after goals and you're through to a grand final and how good's this and Geelong just scraped through in their prelim final and all of a sudden you do get this momentum and, and Mark Williams, I reckon if there was one thing that um, if – he could have had his time again. I'm not even sure if he's, I haven't spoken to him about this, but I reckon he should have nailed us after the prelim final in some way. Like find yeah, yeah, find someone yeah. to nail us. Yeah. It, but instead it was, all the commentary was around, we're going to run these Geelong players off their feet. We're going to play a fast attacking style. We're going to really show flair and dash and take it. That was what I remember. So then it sort of subconsciously sneaks in as a playing group and, it's a hard one when you yeah. when you flog someone in a prelim and there's not much to and be critical you get the home of. Yeah. support and then you're just up. It's like okay, do we try and just stay up and somehow find a way? So mm. that's obviously the art in, uh, in in coaching. But you know, like from a Clarko point of view, yeah, it would have been we lost by ten goals. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he would have had us you know shitting ourselves all week, <laughs> thinking what's going on here and what's going to happen. So yeah, it's. It's interesting, you know, and I'm sure looking back, you probably go flick the switch. Let's go reverse it. Yeah. Let's, let's not say stay so positive. Let's find. But then something. again, it worked a few years earlier yeah. when you said, "Hey, we can run them off our oh, feet. No. We can do this." Obviously, in the second half, it works. I, I think it was knowing your group. So in that first um, grand final, we had players like you know Wakeland and Harbwick and Montgomery and Kings. Wanganeen sort of coming to their 30s and this is the last chance. There was no way there was any complacency where this group was a bit younger and a bit more susceptible to the outside sort of sort of noise. So, yeah, anyway, and I, I'd never watched the game back, but it was on TV uh, probably about a year ago and I just was just in the studio and so I was just watching it. We, we had some opportunities early in the game. I think Ebert missed one and a few players missed some goals early and we're actually with Geelong. Like quarter time, the the margin wasn't that great and we'd miss some real sitters but from then on it was just a blur just a like to think that you could lose a grand final by 190 it's hard hard to do 
It's it actually I didn't hard to do. It was that margin. It's, it's yeah. a record crop. It's hard. It's hard to lose by that much. And I just remember Chad coming in at three quarter time. He was just losing his mind. Like, we are not losing this game by a hundred points. I just remember him screaming it. Anyway, we did. And then from there, um, yeah, it was all downhill. So you mentioned you pumped up the Port Adelaide sides that were really good. Then it was sort of fell apart and sort of broke the group up for. Yeah, um, good five or six years where we just really came crashing down. G'day punters, once again we're going to Tab's leading bookmaker Bart Kennett for the Sunday play. Bart, what have we got this week? We're offering three dollars fifty for either Charlie Kano or Ben Brown to kick five goals or more on Sunday afternoon. Both these big forwards are in red hot form. Charlie has already kicked five or more on three occasions this year, and whilst Ben Brown hasn't kicked a bag of five yet, the D's come up against the Eagles, and that scoreline could be absolutely anything. Brown has been deadly accurate in front of goals. He's kicked seven straight over his last two games. Now Crawford we got back on the winners list last week. Can the big fellas make it two in a row? Yes, absolutely two in a row. I reckon Kuno could have five by the end of the first quarter. So uh, that sounds awesome. And Ben Brown, as you say, he gets a shot at goal. He does not miss. So uh, let's go, Quinny. Thanks for that, Bart. Thanks for that, Crawford. And remember, punters, you can find the offer on the Tab app. Offer available online only. Price subject to change and subject to liability cap. No multi, bonus cash, cash out, partial cash out or live bets qualify. See market page for details. Gamble responsibly. Gamblers help. one 800 858 858. And it was a challenging period, obviously, lots of changes at coach and a lot of players coming in and out. Yeah, all that. So um, eventually, Mark Williams, you know, he's probably Tom was up and he moved on. Then you know, Promise was the caretaker, and that sort of fell apart. And it, what, he, he wasn't supported like he needed to be from a financial point of view. And we had Dean Laidley as the midfield coach, or Danny Laidley, but from Skype and not in person. It was like a couple of days a week as your main midfield coach. Just, just He just was never supported. So who knows if Matty Promise would have been a good coach. He just didn't have the support that he needed to. And then You can't operate like that. You can't. It's a professional no. sport. You've got to be front and centre. You've got to be in, in the trenches. All in. You know, yeah. so... Um, you know, maybe today it might be accepted because of COVID, COVID and a yeah. different world, but you just can't operate like that. You've got to have full-on support, and your assistant coaches are just as important as your senior coach. And then I thought it was it. Like, so me and Matty Primus probably didn't see eye-to-eye eye with the way that he wanted me to play. Chad had gone, so he moved him on, and it was it was like a genuine rebuild where the young players were getting the opportunities and players like myself that were coming to an end. He, he sat me down. He said, look, um, your time's up at the end of 2011 and I'm going okay I've still got two years to go on this contract that I signed so how's that going to work out so the club's going to pay you out the contract don't worry about it financially be fine he was nice about it like he had a nice way of telling me yeah but but two years to go in your contract you those conversa- I think those conversations, you can be honest and say, listen, you're going to have to earn your spot or I don't have a spot for you yeah. but you're going to be a part of the list moving forward. But when you, when you get told, hey, you're going to be done – you have every right to put up the white flag and go, what do I do from here? Which I did, which I did a little bit. So I was, so won the best and fairest in 2010, 2011, not going great. And then told round 18, Chad had just left, like just played his last game um, against Collingwood. We got smashed again. And then that following week, he told me that we're going to pay you out two years. Ago. And I was like, I just won the best and fairest. I know this year's not been great, but I'm thinking all this stuff. And then I did, I was like, all right, I'm out. So we're going to pay out your contract. I was going to go do real estate. I had a, done an apprenticeship with Phil Harris, my mate who owns Harris Real Estate in, in Adelaide, an absolute guru. I was, I was done, completely checked out. And then he rang me sort of four or five weeks later and said, now nah, the board's agreed that we can't afford to pay out your contract, so you're going to be here. 
I was like, hang on, you just what? You just told me you didn't want me. Now oh you now now I'm here. So I was just so angry. It's probably the most sort of. Um, so what what does that mean? Yeah, that, mean that we're going to play you. He as said. Well, he said, look, like, we're, no, we're going to. You're going to have to just participate he, and try and be he, part of it. Pretty much, like he said. So I'm thinking, I you know already that year I'd been dropped and played at Glenelg, finished the year in the sample. He's told me I'm out. Now he said the club can't pay you out. I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm going to have to play Sample for two years. I'm 27, 28 years of age, still got a, a bit. So I tried to go to the Crows. I rang the Crows um, and Brenton Sanderson. The team, your, your beloved Crows. Correct. The yeah. te- the, so I rang Brendan Sanderson there. I said, oh, any chance, any chance could come to the Crows. And um, there Once was, again, you're ringing the Crows. There was, a little bit of, there was a little bit of interest, but in the end that yep. fell over at the last minute. So I'm stuck at Stuck at port, and I just remember being a pretty grumpy sort of guy. Um, You're also getting paid way too much at Port Adelaide, you know. <laughs> Adelaide obviously thought about it, and then they said, "Oh, yeah, that's your contract, is it? Okay, we better we're, we're in a rebuilding yeah. phase ourselves." Yeah, no, that was it. So they weren't. Well, Port would have paid. Probably Port would have paid most of it, probably just to get me out. No, surely not. Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah. rock up for preseason. Didn't speak to the coach for. Probably Jeez. three or four months to the point where, like, it's unbelievable. It was like we we're walking past each other in the corridor. No way. And it was just really not acknowledged. But that that was that was probably more on me because I was quite angry. But I did say but I still, said, still the coach yeah. is going to try. Hey, he needs you. Hey, he ne- he might need you at some stage. <laughs> at some stage. So you would think, hey, I, I need to have a conversation here. We need to break some bread and try and come we back together. We didn't. So, I, but I do remember <laughs> saying to myself, in at some point in that off season of twenty eleven, I, I did say to myself, oh, I'm going to make it really hard for him not to play me. So I went and hired a personal trainer. Her name was Christine. She is the fittest. She's the most fiercest personal trainer. You've nothing of her, but she put you through the hardest hour workout you've ever had in your life. So I was running upstairs, was lifting weights, real cardio strength, and I sort of transformed my body. Not anything like I look now. I was you know, probably eighty five kilos. I'm I'm seventy three at the moment. So I put on a lot of muscle, got super fit, worked on my speed. So I, I went back to training and I was absolutely flying so I was the fittest I've ever been so I just I wanted to make a point you're gonna have to someone's gonna be playing well not to pick me um anyway they played well in the pre-season games and played every game the following year unexpectedly like just and ended up actually winning the best and fairest that year it doesn't mean anything to Did me you? It, does, it doesn't mean anything <laughs> do you know what what's good about winning the best and fairest that year he Probably voted for it well, he voted well, for Well, probably the first five or six games, <laughs> they probably weren't giving him any votes. Because they're going, nah, nah, no good, no, nah, he can't believe he was going to. Yeah. You know. But then all of a sudden you end up winning the whole bloody Yeah, <laughs> so, but, but it doesn't, it doesn't it, I only say that because it's kind of interesting in the context that they didn't want. We're only one five well, games. to get votes from someone who initially didn't want you out. Yeah. <laughs> Big uh, turnaround. And did he start talking to you? Yeah, we, so we started talking in the, before round one. It was quite pleasant to deal with it was it was fine the relationship was never never the same um coach player but eventually the club sort of fell apart and we lost to GWS who were full of 18 year olds at the time late in the year and um you know sort of around 17 18 and clearly that was going to spell the end for Maddie unfortunately so Chab was playing for the Giants coincidentally they beat us full of 18 year olds and then that was the end of Primus flew out on the Sunday morning by the time landed on um, Sunday afternoon back in Adelaide had broke that Matty Promise had lost his job and Gary Hocking came in as caretaker coach and um, yeah it was a, a bit of a crisis for the club You had so many highlights throughout your career 
Tell us about your 250th. Round 5, 2013 versus West Coast. 41 points down. Yeah. And the power come charging back to win. We had some good ones under Ken Inkley. So that was 2013, I reckon. Um, and we won the first five games of the year. I think that was round five. And it was the fifth game in a row we'd won. And we had this real belief. Darren Burgess, the high-performance guru, had been to Arsenal and Liverpool and all sorts of places. He'd been with Port Adelaide but had left and come back. And we really believed in our fitness. So we didn't feel like we were out of the game ever. So came back and um, just remember, I kicked a goal. I didn't kick many goals in my career, but I kicked a goal late in that game, which was important, and finished with the ball in my hands. My young kids had run out on the ground with me. So, yeah, that was a a good day at the office. And under Kenny, he got things back on track. What made him such a good coach? His honesty, um, and he just – so from when – so so when I say the club was in crisis, you've never seen anything like it. So coach sacked, um, president left – in tears, we had um, a teammate, Johnny McCarthy, pass away on, a, um, on an end-of-season trip. So you just can't imagine the trauma that had happened at the footy club. A lot of um, established players had left. A lot of young ones had, had came across. And then Ken Hickley came in with, with Koshy and Darren Burgess, who I mentioned, and just revitalised the place. Um, so the, 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 the McCarthy, um, John McCarthy passing away was was so tragic, but it, in a way it sort of forced us to come together as a group. Like We'd never spent so much time just because we were sort of all grieving together. So one night it was at Jay Schultz's house, and the other night it was at Dom Cassisi's house, and it would be someone else's house. And So you're just forced to work out what was important, and it really brought the group together. And then Ken came in and just set really high standards. So skin folds, massive on skin folds, always punctuality, no one leave weights before you've done every exercise um you know he was a big on little things that up to big things it was one of his sayings so you get the little things right get a lot of little things right that adds up to big things so just remember the standards that he set the honesty that he gave the group every player knew exactly where they stood if you'd missed selection he'd tell you exactly why this is why you've missed this is where you're playing in the sample this is what i expect from you okay so he's left no yep. one in any doubt. Where they, so no one yep. could complain about being out of the t- side because the coach had come around and said, this is why you're out of the side. And probably when you first started, you didn't get a lot of None. feedback until the end of the year and said, you need to work on this and work on this. Yeah. Whereas these days, you get it on a Monday meeting. Constantly. It used to be like the team manager would ring you on a Thursday. Hey, you missed selection this week. Oh, okay, thanks, Bobby. What? Bang, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's it. And there was no right of reply. At least with Ken, he'd front you. All 44 players, he had his little clipboard and he'd yeah, so it was just really refreshing. He's a good person. You know, you can tell when someone's a good person. So he's he's been an incredible coach. Hasn't got the premiership that he has come close to getting at Port Adelaide. Deserves it. But will go down as a really influential figure in the history of the club. And been under a lot of pressure recently. Um, Huge pressure. Yeah, yeah. Haven't been winning. Everyone was no. tipping top four. And I know, you know, when a lot of the media are calling for his head, is it time to move on? You've been fully supportive. Nah, give him more yeah. time to find his way into the season and get going. He just deserve like you deserve the right. You played in the last two prelim finals. Um, you're missing Dixon and Lyson and Fantasia. Some good players missing. So I just I always felt like they would get into the season. Now is it going to be too little, too late? I don't know. But um, it's his tenth year at the club. He's been a phenomenal coach. His winning record is. I think they've won the third or fourth most home and away games of any team like over a, an extended period of time. So he deserved the respect and the right to be able to coach himself out of this. And they've won the last three. They play North Melbourne this week, so who knows? 
your final game was your 300th. Tell us about how it all came to an end. Um, well, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, I'd sat down with Ken Hinckley before the year. He said, this will be your last year. And I was comfortable with that. As I said, I was sort of mentally um, mentally gone and was more than sort of comfortable with what I'd done. We played in the prelim final in 2014 against um, Crofts Hawks and last kick of the game, Andrew Moore misses and we missed oh, out. Yes. So I wanted Jeez. wanted another crack to think, okay, we, we, we've got the group here that can probably go one more. Um, but yeah, it was sort of obvious that I was shot. Kenny rested me in round three. I'm thinking, oh, this is probably not a great sign. Like I'm, it's round, Early on it's round three. I don't quite need to be rested. So the writing was on the wall that this was it. And then I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and my best mate's a fire. And he said, why don't you just put your name down and have a crack at being a fire? You can do four days on, four days off. You can do your media stuff on the side. It'd be great. Oh, okay. So I just put my name down, passed the first test, which was surprising because I'm not very smart and uh, was able to pass the aptitude test. Further. Okay. And get a letter a month later, progress through to the next stage. Uh, it's a fitness test. It's a beep test. Got to get to about stage eight, Crawf. Oh, yeah. Tick. I could walk that. So that, that, was, that was a tick. And get through to the next stage, which is an interview. I'm like, this is getting a bit serious. When When is this intake? If I get through, when is this intake? And they're like, well, it's whatever, June or something. Um, oh, okay, that's middle of footy season. What if I say no? Because I'm playing footy. Well, no, if you say no, there's no guarantees that you'll get in. There's only an intake every three or four years. Like If, this, if, yeah, right. if you get through, you've got to have to go. So that's when I thought I'm in. I'm in a bit of trouble. Like if I, I know it's my last year. Do I play out the year and potentially miss out? And who knows when the next fireys thing is is going to come up? Or do I go and sit down with the club and say, "Look, this is what happened." So I sat down with them and said, "They said oh, I think it's a good idea. Like you, you be. I think it's a, not not a bad idea. Like we are fully <laughs> we are fully supportive of you taking this opportunity." He said, "You're on 297. I want to get you to 300 games. Okay, I want to." I want to get you there. You've been. He was amazing. It's so supportive. Keith Thomas was a CEO. Chris Davies a footy boss. So they're all all great about it. And that's sort of how it happened. And then all of a sudden, all right, you're through. Make a call. Bang. Retired last game. It was it was done. Now once again, if I had my time again, I wouldn't have done that. I would have definitely played out the season and then worked out what I was going to do after because I I hated. I hated the fire brigade. It just wasn't nothing against the people there or, or anything. They do an incredible job, but it just wasn't suited to my personality. So, yeah, one of those ones where you look back and go, I would have done things a bit different. How long did you last? A year. So there's like three months of training. They call it sort of drill squad and you get through and then you go to a station and do your thing. So, yeah, it just wasn't wasn't suited to me and, and what I wanted to do. So thankfully and luckily, um, Hutchie, uh, who we all who we all know really well sort of identified something with me. I was doing a little bit of stuff in the media, and he's been in, an incredible support, giving me some great opportunities to further the media career, and um, sort of came along at the right time and said, "Look, here, I've got a full time job for you. If you want to give up the fire brigade, I think you'll be pretty good." And he's been pretty supportive ever since. Tell him your favourite Hutchie story from the golf course. <laughs> oh, the, the one where he got his new rug. Um, <laughs> you, you don't I know that know, story. Surely, know story. it's a it's a good story. I think he was playing with. I don't know if it even been Brayshaw. It was over in New York. Anyway, he was over there doing some business, but he thought he'd work on his rug. So right. he got this new rug, beautiful, and he was seriously on the tee, and he was with a couple of guys that didn't know him very well, but he's doing a bit of business. And he gets up, and this huge gust of wind comes through, and this is serious because he had no idea on how to stick it down properly. He was just trying to sort of give it a run, and he thought New York would be the best place, you know? Yep. Um, no one would sort of pick it up here. And it picked it up and it blew up 
in a, a bit of a gust that sort of like the MCG, you know how it swirls? So you had this hairpiece swirling in the air and then it lands in the bush right next to him. Like a little tree, which is probably about three metres high. And there he's, he's right, sitting there and he looks back at these guys who he's trying to do a business deal with and thinks, this is pretty awkward. But he owns it. He loves that story. It's a true story. Does he and, love that story? Uh, well, I don't know if he loves they? it, but um, he tells the story okay. and um, he doesn't hold he doesn't and that was the end. It. That was the end of the that rug days. That was the end of the rug. But I yeah. do remember actually talking about the TV side of things. I used to obviously go into Channel 9 yeah. makeup room and there used to be all these cans and bottles and stuff like that. And there even used to be like Bert Newton's hairpiece. Right. Um, which they would call it Eddie because um, Eddie Maguire was everywhere. So they thought they'd name the hairpiece Eddie. Eddie. And so Bert obviously would have that. Yeah. But Hutchie had his little stash. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what is all this? And it was like hair in a can. <laughs> so Spray <laughs> on. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, nah. And for a couple of weeks, and I'll give him credit, he had a crack. He used to, they used to spray his hair on. <laughs> and it used to work. So he used to come on the show and look like he had a new head of hair, but it was obviously just right. hair in a can. Well, I didn't is, know you could actually get that. This is but my that was boss. legit. I've seen it with my own bloody eyes. This is my boss we're talking about. So I can't, I feel like I can't participate in this, this story. No, you can, he, he has no He's issues fine. with it. Yeah. And then yeah, there was like a powder after that, like a hair powder in a can. Right. He tried many different things, but uh, but you know what? He'll always own it. Right. Whatever he talks about it, he's like, yeah, that, that's true. Okay. <laughs> I tried that. So he's not someone who hides from all that. Yeah, Quinny seems to like all that. I love it's, that story. It's funny. It's Quinny's got beautiful funny. hair. Yeah. Funny, yeah. Yeah. Have you got hair in a can? No. Uh, uh, everything's natural about my hair except some of the colour. <laughs> anyway, moving right along. You're now doing great things in the media. Now, I'm not going to call you a shock jock, but you're very good at getting people emotional and yeah. get them engaged and getting them passionate and sometimes when people get passionate they take it too far how do you deal with that when you put your footy thoughts out there you might add a bit of mayo to get people engaged in the conversation I, I don't think he's adding off. mayo like, I, no I, I do I, I do with some of his takes I think he he might think this but he'll really ham it up to get the conversation going no, I, I don't think I've ever said anything I don't believe um, I might have said something and then the next day gone oh 10% too hard, maybe. Yep. But but in the moment, I'm not thinking, I'm going to ham this up. Like I think a lot of the the American guys do that a little bit. No, Stephen A. Smith's incredible, but I think you know, at times it feels like he's acting a yes. bit and reading a script. I'm not – I don't feel like I'm doing that. Have I gone too far? Absolutely. And you reflect on it the following day, but you do a lot of live stuff, and, and in the moment you probably don't realise you've gone too far. So, yeah, I don't think I've – I definitely don't deliberately try and put any mail on it, but it, there's no doubt that that is my style and it's just sort of developed organically. I feel like there's a niche in the market with it. I feel like it's 2022 and a lot of people are frightened to say anything because of the backlash that you get. I'm, I'm certainly not that and, and that will be my style for as long as I continue to do it. It seems to be working okay and, and as long as you are getting a reaction and getting people engaged and it is entertainment and you want people to push back and argue back and debate I love it so I, I welcome all that now people think here's my opinion that's right I don't actually if you want to disagree like if Tony Jones wants to disagree with me on the Sunday footy show happy days if Caro wants to disagree I was like this is great whereas people might think no you can't not disagree with me I, I love it and I welcome that debate because I think that's engaging TV 
Get ready to play everywhere, Australia. The AFL is here. And with Tab Same Game Multi, you can combine all your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, total points and anytime goal scorer all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available on every AFL game this season. Build your Same Game Multi with Tab today. Tab, long may we play. Available online for Tab account customers only. Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help, 1-800-858-858. But, but you also own it as well. When, when you go, do you know what? Yeah. I, I, I got that wrong. I got a few wrong. Yeah. 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 Well, you're going to get things yeah. wrong. When you know, you, that's uh, what happens in life. You, when you're starting at your career, you're getting things wrong. Mm. And it, it's going to happen. And some players are going to shock you and, and improve. Teams are going to improve. 100%. It's always going to happen. And I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of people... You know, and, and I suppose journalists and people in the media, if they make a mistake, they don't want to re- go next week and rehash it and talk about, oh, do you know what? I got it wrong. Whereas you're someone who goes, hey, I've got to put up my hand here. Yeah. I got it wrong. Yeah, well done to you. You're much better than what I thought you were going to be. Congratulations. Yeah. It doesn't happen elsewhere. I think you want to get more right than wrong. Don't get me wrong. Like, you, <laughs> you, 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 want, to, you want your opinions to stack up in four or five three years time and and be proven to be right and you hope that you get more right than wrong but of course you're going to get them wrong like you make big calls you make big statements before the start of the year you have predictions of who's going to make the finals and who's going to miss and all of that who's going to win Brownlow medals and you 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 see things and you make a call on it and then three weeks later you go gee that that guy surprised me like so uh, and if that happens like I've made big statements about the Hawks I, I think they've neglected the draft and it, I think at some point that's going to come back and get them now if they turn around and start the season like they did this year and then that continues for the year and they surprise you and make fun you go oh hang on I've got no escape here the Hawks have surprised me I thought it was the wrong thing you know the way that they handled the Clarko stuff but in the end they've probably got their right guy like Sam Mitchell looks to be the right guy um, and, you, and you sort of acknowledge that so I've got no issue with, with getting things wrong Albeit, I'd like to be more right than wrong. How do players and coaches take? Yeah. Have you had, you know, confrontation? I suppose the last couple of years during COVID, everyone's been locked away. But how do you go, like in a social function? Do you ever have any sort of front-on conversations yeah, around it all? Nervous, because <laughs> I'm not a. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm no, not. You a, just call it. As I'm you not say. an out there sort of guy. Like, but for example, yeah. So I made a big call about. Toby Nankerf. So I was surprised Richmond gave him the captaincy and I thought some of his play this year had been undisciplined. But he played really well on the weekend and we had him on the Sunday footy show yesterday. Yep. So I've walked into the production meeting and they've gone, no, we've got Toby Nankerf. I'm th- oh, more than like, oh, what did I say about him two weeks ago? <laughs> and then they pulled out the quote that I said of about him. they did, yep. And, and I said, well, so how do you... I said, all right, I'll ask him the first question. I'll say... Toby, two weeks ago on the uh, on the Sunday footy, on Footy Classified, I said that I thought it was the wrong call to make you captain, and I think your discipline has let you down at times. How have you seen your form? So I think you've just got to own it. And he was great. He said, "Oh no, I think you know I like to play on the edge, and um, I certainly don't want to be giving away free kicks." And he sort of took all the oxygen out of it. So I just think you've got, and everyone's different. You'll get a Chris Scott maybe who might come back at you really hard, or an Adam Simpson might do the same. So. If you make the call, I think you've got to sort of put your hand up and be bold enough to acknowledge it and confront the person that you've made the call. Caro's the best at it. She she can punch on with people and 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 then <laughs> two weeks two weeks later she's having coffee with them like just yep. sort of smooth. So she's as good as anyone at um, fronting up 
and acknowledging the criticism and, and telling the person, or she'll ring them and say, hey, I'm, tonight I'm going to say this about you, just to let you know. Right. Like, and, uh, they're, they're, and the, co- the coaches, are, like the players are touchy, but the players yeah. know, yeah, I need to be better there, I need to put more pressure on, yeah, maybe I wasn't, maybe I need to work harder. So they're evaluating themselves all the time. The coaches get prickly, you know. Yeah. And – but sometimes they get so built up, you know, they say we don't listen to the media and we don't read things, but they get so built up about some of the conversations and what's being said that they take it personally. Yeah. They really do. I, I can still remember Bucks. I've seen Bucks, and I know Bucks really well. Yeah. And and he was obviously coaching, and he was still coaching at the time, Collingwood, and he, he said, I've got a bone to pick with you. And I said, no worries, what is it? <laughs> and he's, he's like, he couldn't think of it. Yeah. And I said, mate, I haven't been potting you. I said, you've got someone me, else. Yeah, you got me wrong. So um, it's amazing how, you know, they must yeah. consume a lot of the negative sort of vibes and write-ups and, and, you know, back talk from the radio. I think so that, when they say they haven't read it, they have. Or, or if they haven't read it, someone's told them. Yeah. But that's more so, dangerous. If they don't yeah. read it or they don't hear how it's yes, said, that's exactly. dangerous. So I'm going to throw some names at you. Tell us about your run-ins and relationships with these people. Okay. Travis Boak. Oh, he's incredible. Like, So he came in as a youngster and I just always admired him and his family and the way that he went about it. When I first – so we were quite close. When I first um, joined the media, I – said something about Bokey. They'd moved him to sort of half forward and it looked as though he was a bit out of favour at the club and I sort of acknowledged that and said that publicly. And he was um, quite offended by that. He, he didn't didn't ring me or anything like that, but you got back to me that he was quite um, offended by what I had said. And that was the hardest thing when you got really close relationship with people at the club to then have to analyse them and be somewhat critical Um yeah, I'm not sure I handled that as best as I could have either. I think we're pretty good now. Like I see him from time to time. He lives near me and he's always really friendly and, and happy to have a chat. But our relationship probably isn't what it was when we were playing as a result. Ken Hinckley? Nah, strong. Like, similarly, um, you know, I've at times had to be critical of Ken. Like last year with the prelim final and the finals exits, I said some strong things. But he just rings me and said, I think you're out of line here. I think you were sort of correct here, but I didn't appreciate you saying this and you know you probably could have reframed it this way um, but I spoke to him a couple of weeks ago and he rang me and, and thanked me for the support that I'd offer him this year so once again um, owe him a lot and I've always got the utmost respect for him Taylor Walker um, yeah it's an not going feud with Taylor Walker is yeah it? You know, he's, he's taken it we see the world personally. we see the world a little bit differently <laughs> <laughs> me and Tex oh he hates me like I think genuinely, like I, it, I was going for a run the other day, and um, not, not the other day, maybe maybe twelve months ago, I was running and Tex was driving and his window was down and I sort of just didn't know, just give him a wave and just didn't acknowledge it, which is which is fine. So I've been um, at the time when he was captain of Adelaide, they were you know, struggling a little bit and big issues at the club and um, his form. Um, from memory had maybe dropped and I'd written a couple of articles that he didn't appreciate and he fired back as players have the platform and availability to do now and it was I thought it was sort of good theatre and things like that but as a player they can be a little bit sensitive and I think that's what happened with, with Tex Luke Beveridge I don't know I've never met him um, so um, I've uh, he was quite upset I think with some media commentary around um, Adam Trelaw during a final series and sort of 
cryptically maybe had a crack at me. Some people tell me he was having a crack at me. I, I don't know. He didn't mention me by name, but I've never met him. He appears as though he hates all media. So, <laughs> well, probably, probably the first press conference at the start of the year. <laughs> probably highlights that. That's okay. I've no issue. <laughs> and um, what about um, the Collingwood player? Uh, Jack Ginnivan. Yeah, um, got the same hairstyle. We're mates now. now. <laughs> yeah, but do, do you know what? And I I know the way that you're wired and, you know, you're very robotic and mm. you've you got the blinkers on when you're playing and so forth. So for a player to be out there and, yeah. and showing their personality, yep, you go, hey, this is no good. But deep down knowing the media and the way it works, finally some players are actually coming out of their shell again and actually showing some personality, whereas we've been complaining for the last 10, 15 years, oh, these players are so vanilla, not giving us what we want. Yeah, so how did you, how did you handle that? Well, because I, initially did, I thought... Did they ever pull you... Because you did some yeah, oh, yeah, crazily yeah. entertaining stuff. It well, never affected your form, but did the club ever pull you in? Oh, yes. Yeah, I had great issues behind the scenes. Right. Yeah. So tell me about that, because um, I'm interested well, in Well, no, that's not because, about me. No, but, but it is, because this week, Collingwood have said, and Craig McRae has said, we'd love Jack to be celebrating team goals, not individual goals. And I say, well, hang on. You've just given him a GoPro in round one, and you post him all over your social media. Fans are loving him. He bleached his hair. He wears the long sleeve. We're celebrating this he guy. He kicks goals. He plays well. He wins an Anzac medal. And now at round seven, you're saying, oh, no, hang on, we don't like that anymore. We want you to celebrate with the team. So take us inside yep. that conversation. Well, no, I, I think it's a hard one because you understand how we want the football to be the focus and the team to be the focus, yes. But for me, it became very different because I saw it as a career. Yeah, like, yeah. Like you did being a fireman, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I said, well, I, I get taught, um, you know, um, about – the TV industry and yeah. doing different things. And yeah, sure, I can definitely pull back, which I did there for a little while. I still kept doing things, but I wasn't um, out there like I had been for a little while just to try and show, listen, I can do other things and yeah. I can um, go a bit cooler. But I, I love the fact that there was some support for him initially mm. when everyone turned against him and said, oh, they're getting ahead of himself. Why would you give him a GoPro to do that and show some personality? Do you know what? They've probably got another 2,000 members that have jumped on mm. board, young kids going, hey, I support Collingwood. Oh, no, I want to start barracking. I want a membership because of, yeah, I like the way this guy operates. It's a modern way. Um, yeah, I think you just got to be careful with overdoing it and exactly what they're doing, mm. but still let the players bring out their personality. We want to see that. That grows the game. You only have to look at the NBA, you know, and seeing mm. what players do socially and within their teams. And I think it just needs to be carefully managed, but still allow, you know, players to grow and be themselves. Yeah. You've got to. He's probably, is he the most famous AFL player? I don't know. <laughs> Dustin Martin probably still is, but for a player who's played 12 games, like he's pretty famous. I like it. We need characters, need personalities. You do. You, like, you look at Bailey Smith, you know, and, you know, yeah. they seem to have kept, he doesn't, he doesn't say a lot. But visually, he's mm, popping up mm. on billboards, and he's you know he's got the look, and he's he's matching it with his game. As long as you're playing well and you're contributing to well, the team, it. and you're you're pre- very professional in the way you do things, let them let them be themselves. Let them sort of come out of their shell if that's what they want to do. But also guide them and, and support them in the right manner. Now, final question from me before we finish with some rapid fire ones. 
I love your broadcasting style. You remind me of an American broadcaster. At the top of the show, I said you're Australia's Colin Cowherd. Is that sort of the model you want to be? Yeah, I I do consume a lot of American um, sports media, and I think they like the thing I love. I've got a couple of times been to America, and it's just twenty four seven. It's just you just all consuming the sport and. They're lucky because I've got two big sports and then you can chuck in baseball and ice hockey. So it's just constantly driven by the sports agenda. I think they have really strong opinions, which I like, and they're not afraid to really say it as as, as they you know, see it. So I've taken definitely something of him. I don't know if I'm as intelligent as Colin. He's got a, a great ability to be able to use analogies into sport. So you come up with sort of life analogies and then link it to sport and has his own show for three hours. So um, he gets a lot wrong, though. That's yeah. the, that's the, that's he glosses the, over that's, that, That's though. the thing about <laughs> – you go back and listen to Colin three months ago, what he was saying about a player, then a few months later he's completely changed his tune. I'm like, hang on, I swear, you know, before the draft you were saying Tua's going to be a good draft pick and now he's saying he's no good. So he does – it's, it's the same with Hawthorne last week against yeah. Melbourne. Yeah. Oh, gee, you know, they're <laughs> – they pushed Melbourne. They're going really well, and then this week, now. everyone's like Hawthorne are done. <laughs> they're having a disastrous season. I'm like, it's only been one game, yeah. <laughs> and it was probably a quarter. You know, so it's funny how yeah. quickly it turns. But we don't highlight the things no. that we miss along the way. Although you do, well, he does as well. So he he does a segment on Mondays called Colin Right, Colin Wrong. So he go through maybe five things he's got wrong and five things that he's got right. So I think that's been good. For for him, um, which he acknowledges every Monday. I love Bill Simmons in a, in a different way. Bill Simmons has built an incredible sort of empire, really, with the ringer and has branched out into pop culture and all things that is interesting to the public. He's got podcasts going on everywhere, but his Bill Simmons podcast is as good as anyone and his creativity and his ability to identify storylines and um, do it as though you like this, just sitting having a chat is, is amazing. So him... Um, Stephen A. Smith's been great. Do like Nick Wright, who's who's another one that I looked up look up to, but I just think they do it better than us, and I don't think there's anyone in Australia really doing it like they're doing it. The best player you played with, who is who is your best? So there's three that's there's three that stand out, and I don't like sitting on the fence. So I'll say Treadray was the best. Um, Wanganine was the most brilliant, um, and Robbie Gray just needs a mention. Robbie, they're, they're the three best port players of all time. Just tread, tread. something happens when the game needs something to happen. Robbie Gray just seems to He's a freak. to be there and, I, and and involved in some way. And does he? Get, so I just want to give him the credit that he deserves. Yep. Like in that. So when we're talking about the players of of his era, um, he needs to be in the conversation as the best of that group. So whoever it is, from when he's played, you know, two thousand seven to to now, that gap. I don't know if there's been many better than him. And and what about playing with Sean Burger when he goes to Hawthorne, how, how on earth did he play that long and that well? I don't like, know. How do you he do was, that? He was supposed to be, I, I <laughs> honestly remember, I've told this story a couple of times. Gone. I was, at the end of the season, you go in for a medical. So you, you do your, your exit interview, you have a medical, you tick off all the loose ends before they let you go on. So you check off that to make sure your body's in one piece. So if you go on a footy trip, you come back. Oh, hang on. You didn't have that torn hammy when you went. Anyway, so I'm sitting in the medical with the physio and the doctor and Sean Bergen was there. And it's just before he's going to have this knee operation, just before he left, hadn't made up his mind to go. And I think he walked out and, and then the conversation continued that, look, if, if, if we can get three or four more years out of Sean, this is going to be incredible. Because this revolutionary surgery. 
And I just kept laughing every every time. Uh, he'd go on for another year. Then he'd win another grand. I'm, Sean Burgon was supposed to be finished in 2013. I remember it. I heard you doctors say it, and he's still going, and it's 2020. Like, freak. And not only that, he was the clutch player. It's like, Freak. where do we need someone to fix? Okay, he'll go there. Yeah, one of the most versatile players that's ever played the game. And and speaking of being able to switch off, that so everyone that's played for a long, long period of time, I reckon they've got a good ability to switch off, and he was that. But also Toughcroft as well, like one of the best tacklers I've ever seen and just not afraid to really win a physical ball. Um, so he probably doesn't get enough credit for how tough he was. Aside from the 2004 Premiership, your footy highlight? <sighs> footy highlight was the... 300th? No, we lost, and it was the last one. <laughs> okay. The, the, the Hinkley era. So 13 and 14 was the most fun I've had playing footy. We played a really good brand of footy. Wingard was dominating. We had some young players coming through, new coach, club sort of back on back on its feet. and Went from winning five games in 2012 to winning a final in 13. And not many do that. So that's like North Melbourne last year going on to win a final this year or Adelaide. It just doesn't happen. So to, to do that and turn it around as quickly as I can, I never thought I'd play another final ever again. So to be in a prelim final at the MCG against Hawthorne in 2014, it's like, oh, gee, this is good. I never thought I'd be here again. So that, oh, I loved that period. Best sledge you heard on a footy field? Oh, get asked this question. Nothing really. Were you a yapper out in the yeah, field? A little bit. I, I, I don't Little remember bit. you yapping not, too not, much. Not, um, Brody not Holland never personal. got under your skin. Uh, he, he had a couple of – yeah, he said something about the old man, I think it was, and I gave him the finger after the game. Oh, that's <laughs> – we had him on a few weeks ago. <laughs> and he, he, what, he, what was his no, recollection exactly of Exactly that. Oh, was he it? He went into you all day. Right. And then at the end of the game, okay. he went to shake your hand and you gave him the yeah, finger. Yeah, which was, I can't <laughs> – so once again, if a young player did that, I would rip them a new one on – on the, in the media, you know, I liked it. I liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that maybe that. Well, one. Well, he, he hadn't forgotten it. It was his. He, yeah, you know, he's like. I have said. I did say sorry to him. Uh, no, he said. That. Yeah, I, I have spoken to him since. Like I was out of line. He wasn't making himself the good guy in that story. No, 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 no. It's all good. It's all good. It's all part of it. Best spray you heard from a coach. <sighs> the best spray I ever heard was so Ken Hinckley was really good. And I'm assuming he still is. We played in a preseason game. This was what I was talking about with his standards, and oh, we're playing a bit harsh pre-season, pre-season game, and, it was, and it was at a weird destination. Might have been in Perth somewhere, like Mandra or somewhere like on a on a suburban oval, Bunbury, <laughs> somewhere like that. And Josh Kennedy, I reckon, got a hold of Alapade Carlisle, who was our fullback, and we, he must he must have kicked two or three in the first quarter, and he. We all came in for quarter time. It's a pre-season game. You're sort of just finding your feet. And he's just said, Bobby, that was his, that was his name. If you, if he said, I will effing play you in the sandfall for the rest of your career if you continue to play like this. And there was more to it. And I'm going, wow, this coach means business. It's a pre-season <laughs> game. And he's just absolutely Given it to him, so that was that was frightening. So Kenny Hinkley was probably the best, albeit Choco was pretty good. But um, yeah, nothing really springs to mind with Choco. Now Crawf hasn't asked you about any footy trips. He loves doing that. I'll give you the floor now. Oh well, yeah, it's well, not, see, this wasn't you know, my area of expertise. Well, you're not allowed to do footy trips these days. But back in the day yeah. when you first started, footy trips were very much. On the car, I suppose coming to Melbourne would have been like a footy trip for the Adelaide boys or the Port Adelaide boys. Well, I went on the first four footy trips of my career. So oh, did you? That, and that, there was, you go. That, that was it. So where did you go? Uh, so we went. Um, we went to Cairns. 
went to um, San Francisco and Vegas, which was which was interesting. <laughs> went to Hawaii, and then after 2004, we went back to Cairns. Um, the players, do you remember the Hundred Club? No, the the Hundred Club is a shot at me or so, something yeah. around that, and. That, that was my first, it was like the first night in Cairns. I'm 18 years old. And the, the guys, we're doing the 100 Club tonight. And they're all, and I, thankfully I didn't do it, but I've never seen. You would have probably said, listen, I'll do oh, 100 hundreds. I'll go and run 100 hundreds. You guys do I've all never that. seen anything. It was just carnage. And I look back and think some of the things that the players got up to that you just wouldn't dare now. Like no. if you had phones and things like that. So anyway, that was a bit eye-opening for me. And a bit off-putting. Because well, like, like oh, I'm uh, trying to be a professional here. And yeah, there. but you're trying to blend in. I know. And, you know I felt out of place. I did. Yeah. I felt out of place. And I, the pressure, and you're like, hang all on. All that. If I do that, I'm going to end up. Yeah. So know, I was. So I, I did. The next yeah. Day. So I did. Stri- I did. I never really felt like I fit in for that. For that reason, and I always really was sort of not jealous, but respectful of the players that could sort of blend with everyone. They would blend with sponsors and blend with the coaches, then be with be one of the boys, and then be a professional when they had to be. Um, so, yeah, I was never that. Kane, we've loved having a chat. Good on you guys. Best Thanks for having Kano. me. Very entertaining. Kane Corn, superstar from the power and punisher. You've been listening to Tabs Inside 50.